Well, I have never owned a brand new car. Now, I know that you know that next Sunday is Pastor Appreciation Sunday. (laughs) So don't get any ideas. No, go ahead and get an idea. No, don't get any ideas. It's by choice I've never owned a new car. And the only reason I say that is because what I'm going to talk about, I don't have a firsthand experience of. But I do know this. I know that when a, a brand new car rolls off the assembly line, it's practically perfect. It has that new car smell, has that new car shine. You get inside and the interior is it's spotless. But when you start driving the car, it doesn't stay that way. Right? Mud and dirt spoil that new car shine. Pollen covers it up. Potholes knock it out of alignment. Other cars might bump into it or open the door onto it. You accidentally spill your coffee while you're driving. You step in something and whatever's on the bottom of your shoe stains up and maybe smells up the interior of that brand new car. And depending on how you live your life outside of church, and I don't know how all of you live your lives, but depending on that, someone just might take a Louisville slugger to both headlights And carve their name into your leather seats. You never know, right? So the point is a brand new car, when it goes out into the world, it won't stay new looking for very long. It's going to be affected by its interaction with the world. So now, Beatitudes. What it has to do with Beatitudes. This morning we come to the last one, the very last of the Beatitudes that Jesus teaches his disciples on the mountain, and in a way, the Beatitudes are like Jesus' assembly line. With each Beatitude, one by one, characteristic by characteristic, Jesus assembles for us a picture of what his followers look like. So having heard what his followers are to look like, and having embraced the importance of these Beatitudes, the disciples are now ready to roll off of that mountain, shiny new followers of Christ. And just like the new car, these newly minted disciples have to interact with and be impacted by the world. So what can the disciples rightly expect from this interaction? What can you and I rightly expect from being the kind of disciples Jesus calls us to be while living in this world. Some dents, scratches, misalignments, mud, stain. Let's hear what Jesus has to say as we return this morning to his word in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And when you found Matthew chapter 5, let's stand together so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. You love us enough to tell us the truth. You love us enough to show us how to live our lives. You love us enough to deposit your spirit in us so that transformation comes when your spirit joins your truth. And we pray for that transformation this morning, Lord, in whatever form it needs to take so that we might love you more deeply and follow you more closely and be the kind of disciples, followers of Christ that you've called and designed us to be. So bless this time together in your word. Bless it to our hearts for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Jesus says here, blessed are the those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's do this this morning and, and talk first about persecution and the reality that it is for the believer. If we think about all the Beatitudes as a whole, we see that four of them describe character qualities that cause you and me to turn inward, to look at ourselves. When we are poor in spirit, when we mourn over our sin, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, When we seek to be pure in heart, we are looking inside ourselves. Each one of these Beatitudes requires you and me to get real with God when it's just us and God. You and God, me and God. Three of the Beatitudes and the character qualities that Jesus requires in them, they focus our attention outward. We must display meekness before others. We must extend mercy to others. We must make peace with others and through the words of the gospel, call others to peace with God. The beatitude before us this morning is different than these. And in some ways, it's the most difficult of the beatitudes because you and I aren't in control. In this beatitude, we're not acting either to look within ourselves or to look outward toward others. In this beatitude, you and I, all followers of Christ, are being acted upon. Things are going to happen to us that we can't anticipate or prevent. In this beatitude, Jesus speaks to the disciples about what they're going to experience after the sermon is over. That's an important time, isn't it? After the sermon is over. After Jesus dismisses them. After they leave the mountain. After they go back into the world and many of them back to their daily lives. Their lives are going to change because of Jesus. How are people going to react to that change? How are people going to respond when their friend or family member is absolutely determined to follow Jesus? In this beatitude, Jesus speaks to the disciples and through them to us about the reaction of the world to us. As we display all these other beatitudes that Jesus has given to us. Dents and mud and stains 
and vandalization. We are certain to experience it as we live in this world. Jesus said so. Look in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Jesus doesn't say here, blessed are you if others persecute you. He says very intentionally, when, as if it's a given, as if it's a certainty. I wish I could say it were other than that. Believe me, I would love to say it's other than that, not only for you, but for me as well. But Jesus doesn't allow it. Two of the words that we've been trying to keep in our minds as we've studied all of these beatitudes are radical and revision. Remember those words? Radical and revision. And these beatitudes require that you and I revision our lives. We have to revision our lives as followers of Christ. It's probably safe to say that as Americans living in the South, most of us have envisioned a life where being a Christian has been a plus. We have favored Christian status. Maybe even we've made some good business connections because of our church relationships or made some good, important social connections. Most of us envision a life where we are accepted and well-liked. That's the life we envision for ourselves. I know that's true. Because if it were not true, peer pressure would have absolutely no power. Please imagine peer pressure having no power. But it does have power. The power begins in our earliest years. We make decisions in our lives to ensure that we are accepted and not excluded or rejected. And we don't grow out of it after our teenage years. I look around at the craziness. Is our country not crazy at this time? And I I know that there are Democrats and Republicans, and everybody gets nervous. Just relax. I'm not going to make some big political statement. I'm talking about elected officials. I'm just talking about people. I think there are those who want to act differently than they have acted. And I believe that there are those in both parties who, who, who want to choose differently than they have chosen. But they act against their reason. They act against their conscience so as not to be excluded by their party, right? They want acceptance by their party. Or they don't want to be cut out from those that they determine to be the cutting-edge culture makers of our day and the agenda that they set. We don't want to be uh, rejected by those hip, cool, with it people. Not many of us want backlash or rejection much less persecution. So here's what we need to do. We need to revision our lives. And we need to allow for a vision of our lives that may include being unpopular. We may need to revision our lives so that that life includes being rejected. We need to allow for a vision of our lives that may include being ostracized. And if we broaden the scope of our discussion this morning to believers outside of the U.S., we need to envision a life that may include physical harm or imprisonment or even death. 
but we only have to revision our lives. You don't have to revision your life if this is true. If you don't want to implement the second word, which is radical, then you don't have to revision. (laughs) But if you want to be radical and live radically for Jesus, then guess what? You have to revision your life when you're radical, when, when you are willing to make sweeping changes in your life, when you are willing to have every part of your life affected and impacted by living obediently to Christ. If you're willing to do that, persecution will come. So we, we can't reject this beatitude. We can't opt out of it. It's just as much a beatitude as the rest. In fact, this beatitude may be more of a beatitude than the other beatitudes. And by that I mean look at the other beatitudes. They're one-liners, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. You get the point. Each of the other beatitudes are on average about 11 words. But then we come to this beatitude. Guess how many words in the ESV? 64 So this beatitude is six times longer than the other. And you know, of course, at the very least, what that means, right? If I have spent at least one week per 11-word beatitude, and this beatitude is six times as long, you do the math. Just kidding, I think. Though we're definitely not finishing this. We're definitely not finishing this beatitude this morning. It's not six times longer because it's six times more important. Definitely not that. But maybe it's because Jesus knows how difficult it's going to be for us to embrace this beatitude. It's counterintuitive to us. You and I seek to preserve our lives and to protect our lives. None of us want to expose our lives to people or things that would harm them or take them from us. And so Jesus has to work with us a little bit on this one. Because we haven't reached Jesus' ideal for his followers if we radically revision our lives with all the Beatitudes except this one. This one has to be part along with the rest. So somehow we have to reconcile ourselves to the certainty of persecution in our lives. Perhaps we can do that better if we understand why persecution will come. So I want to I move on from the certainty of persecution to, to talk about this. Why Will persecution come? And I think the easiest way to answer that question is from our confession this morning. If you want to look in your bulletin to that passage that was read there. Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was in the world physically when he spoke these words. Standing before Pilate, Jesus was not a figment of someone's imagination or some ethereal being. He was real, and when he, he was in the world, and we already saw in Matthew chapter 5, he's already proclaimed that the kingdom of God has come. But his kingdom is not of this world. It's not like this world in which he stood and preached. The character of the kingdom of God is different from the character of the kingdoms or the nations of this world. Jesus' kingdom defies conventional wisdom. Jesus' kingdom defies conventional wisdom. Wisdom. What? A king who doesn't fight? What? A king who doesn't arm and rally his troops to establish and secure his kingdom? What? 
A king who allows himself to be arrested and doesn't fight back or even open his mouth? Yes. Because no matter what the world may think or conventional wisdom may say, Jesus is the right kind of king for his kind of kingdom. Jesus is the right kind of king for his kind of kingdom. So you and I attempt to conflate the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. To make them one and the same. That's what we try to do. The Puritans attempted it. When they came to this country, the pilgrims, the Mayflower, the city on the hill that they hoped to establish. We don't have time for a long history lesson. And the people of God said. But look how quickly what the world values took root among the Puritans. Particularly the love for money. We can't seem to escape that in any culture or in any time. So there was an attempt to just mix them all together. Religion, politics, business. Let's just conflate them. Let's put them all together. And so though we may not like now how separation of church and state has been come to, to, to be interpreted, thank God for the intention of it. Because the church, the kingdom of Christ, is an entirely different nature and character from the state. They are not the one and the same. Can I say that again? The church and state are not one and the same. Can I say that again? The church and state are not one and the same. And it's to our detriment as evangelical believers that we try to bring them together. They are different. Certainly we are to seek to transform our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this world, this world will never fully be the kingdom of God until Jesus Christ returns with great power and glory to renew and restore all things and make all things right. Persecution is a clash between two kingdoms. Jesus' kingdom is different than the kind of kingdom or nation of the world. The way Matthew writes his gospel These blessed are statements, these beatitudes, they come at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, these blessed are statements have a counterpart. And we find the counterpart in Matthew 23 at the very end of Jesus' ministry. And the blessed are statements are countered by the woe to statements. You know some of those woe to statements. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You've neglected the important matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Those are a few of the woe to statements. So we have blessed are and woe to. And it is a clash of systems. The blessed are kind of living of Jesus and the woe to kind of living of the people of this world. And it doesn't matter what the system is. For the Pharisees, it was another religious system, but beyond that, it was cultural. It was political. They actually dominated all the life, social, political, cultural, religious of Jerusalem. And so whenever the clash comes, there's chaos and confusion. Now, we expect the world to make sense. Do you expect the world to make sense? Do you? 
Do you expect people to act sensibly? I do. I expect people to act sensibly. Well, once again, we need to revision. (laughs) Or none of this is going to make sense to us. When the systems come into conflict, I'm telling you, you know this by experience, sense is thrown out the window. In order to accomplish the end that is most desired, I'm going to give you two examples from Scripture. Matthew 26, we read that the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. So the goal is clearly stated, right? These people want Jesus dead. The problem was they could find no reason to put him to death. They had no evidence. And so sense would say, then don't attempt to put him to death, right? Is that sensible? But remember, we have to revision a world that doesn't make sense. Think about the person of Jesus. I'll calm down. Think about the person of Jesus. Over and over, we see him as a person who is full of grace and truth, kindness, compassion. Jesus draws near to him the people that the rest of society have marginalized or completely neglected. Jesus gives hope. Jesus gives healing. What a beautiful person is Jesus Christ. But what Jesus wanted and valued clashed with what his enemies wanted. So his enemies brought forth witnesses they knew were false. Witnesses they knew were lying just to protect their world, their system, and their kingdom. Imagine Jesus standing there as one person after the other came forward telling lies about him. And what was the result of the clash? Persecution, right? Jesus put to death. Fast forward, Acts chapter 6. At this point in history, the church is growing. What a great period for the church. People are becoming believers in Christ in big numbers And very rapidly, lives are changing under the influence of the gospel. Attitudes are changing. Values are changing. Behaviors are changing. Therefore, the city of Jerusalem itself is changing. The culture is changing, which is not good news if you liked it the way it used to be. So to make matters worse, along comes a man named Stephen. Everybody awake still? Everybody good? All right, Stephen. And Scripture says, now Stephen was a man full of God's grace. Full of God's grace. That's beautiful. And power. And he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Great guy. Opposition arose. And the opposition began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So here you see is the clash between the two kingdoms that results in conflict. The opposition didn't like what Stephen was saying because it endangered their kingdom. Worse yet, they and the system they held to could not get the upper hand because Stephen's grace and Stephen's wisdom was so much greater. Too much for them. So what did they do? Scripture tells us. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin And they produced false witnesses who testified against him. 
Once again, the sensible thing would have been to say, no sensible reason exists to persecute a man as gracious and wise and good as Stephen is. But we have to revision a world that is not sensible when different values and systems and kingdoms come into conflict. Imagine how Stephen felt. As one after the other, false witnesses came forward to say things about him that were not true. And what was the result? Stephen was persecuted. He was stoned until he was dead. Doesn't make sense. Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood the wisdom of God. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. doesn't make sense that Jesus would die, but they crucified him anyway. So you and I have to realize that earth is not heaven. Earth is not heaven. We can't confuse the two. Heaven is heaven, and earth is earth. So earth is not heaven, so we cannot expect heaven on earth right? until the Lord Jesus returns. What we have on earth is a clash of values systems. The church, that's you and me, as we are faithful to Christ, as we are faithful to live radical lives, the radical lives that Jesus calls us to, that's one system. And we call that the kingdom of God. That's one system. Everything else is another system. And whatever that system is, is going to come into conflict with the kingdom of God. Colossians 2.8. You know, I know I'm giving you a lot of verses, but who really gives a rip about what I say? God's word is the truth, and so I read that for you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, there's two systems, two kingdoms, the world and its philosophy, Christ and his philosophy. 2 Corinthians 10.3, for, for though we walk in the flesh... We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Two systems, the opinions, the thoughts of the kingdoms of the world, and the thoughts and opinions of Christ's kingdom, the two are going to clash, and this is why persecution comes. John Stott writes, Persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. We are so close to being done, you, you need to be excited right now. <laughs> Jesus says to his disciples, just after the triumphal entry and before he has the Last Supper with them in the upper room, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. While he was in the upper room, 
eating the Last Supper with the disciples. He said this to them, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so we have the ruler of this world, and we have Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins on which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ruler of this world, prince of the power of the air, both names referring to Satan, who has very real power over our world and its people and the and its people. Now imagine an educated person saying something like that in 2018. <laughs> you believe in the devil. Absolutely, because Jesus does. And I'm sticking with Jesus. This doesn't mean that God is not the ultimate sovereign ruler over all creation. He is. Is that good news? It just means that God in his sovereignty and according to his purpose allows Satan to have some measure of power in this world. But listen, you and I do not need to be afraid because God, according to Scripture, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Is that good news? Out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. We don't have to fear because 1 John tells us, chapter 5, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, Jesus, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know who, him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Is that good news? Then do not fear. But do expect conflict. Do not fear, but do expect conflict. When the kingdom of which you are now a part, not in this one anymore, the kingdom of which you are now a part, which is the kingdom of God, when that comes into conflict with the world from which you have been delivered, expect to get dirty and dinged and dented. In fact, if you and I never have any of these experiences, if you are always well-liked, if you're always accepted by everyone, then maybe you need to examine your value system. Maybe you need to do some revisioning. Maybe you need to get a little more radical. In which kingdom are you really living? Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, even when it's as difficult to hear 
as this word is difficult. Lord, you are wanting something for our lives that none of us want for ourselves. And Lord, if others here this morning are like me, we try to figure a way to get out of this. We try to explain away the fact that our lives have never been really marked by persecution. We try to explain away why everybody just loves us all the time. What we need to be doing, Lord, is examining our lives for how radically we live for you. But radical doesn't mean ungracious. It just means being devoted to you and to your truth. In a loving and gracious and compassionate way, we are just different from the world. So, Lord, I pray that you would make us people who are bold and courageous to live firmly rooted in your kingdom. Allow us, Lord, to revision our lives so that we have a vision for them that matches the vision that you have for one who claims to be your follower. And Lord, whatever the changes we need to make, we thank you that you've given us our, your spirit and that your spirit is powerful within us to make those changes and bring that transformation. And Lord, we thank you that you're with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. So when persecution comes, you never leave or forsake us. And so we thank you for that, and we pray that that truth would give us boldness and courage to go from this place as the disciples went off of the mountain to make a difference in this world, in this city, for Jesus' sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.